G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. At that time, um, when I went to see the renal specialist, he said, your kidneys are down to 22%, which is very low. And then he said, you need to monitor your kidneys. So this was around September 2018. By January 2019, my kidneys were down to, to 15%. They're just on free fall. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, on past programs, we spoke with Chris and Erica Grace, who shared how they met and married in South America, where they served as missionaries before coming back to Chris's home country of Australia. Today, our guest is their son, Andrew Grace, who was going to Bible college when one health challenge after another came his way, to the point where he is now waiting for a kidney transplant. But instead of throwing in the towel and giving up on his pursuits, he's decided to press on with his biblical studies and has even taken up ballroom dancing. So how has he managed to have such a positive attitude while going through so many challenges? We'll find out today as Andrew has a chat with Eric Scadabo. Andrew is joining us from his home on the east side of Melbourne. Andrew Grace, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Eric. Glad to have you with us, and I should say before we get started that you and I have known each other for many years because back in 2003, when we came here, my wife Jean and I came to Australia as missionaries, we took our kids to some missionary kids get-togethers. Do you remember when we used to get together? It seems like so long ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago, so we met you and the other missionary kids in that organization, and there would be get-togethers like for Thanksgiving meals and other social activities. It was a lot of fun. It is, and it was good memories. It's very helpful for missionary kids when they're coming back from other cultures. And for whatever reason, we stopped going to those things, so we hadn't seen you for many years. And then a while ago, I spoke with your mother and father when we interviewed them, and your mother shared with me that you have been, in the last five years, going through all these health challenges. And I didn't know anything about that, because the last I had seen you, you were you know, doing fine in life. But then all these health challenges that we're going to talk about today have come about in the last five years. So we're going to talk about what you've been going through in recent years. But first, let's find out about your background. We already know that your parents were missionaries in South America when they met. Were you born in South America? Well, funnily enough, no. So mom and dad married, but they returned to Australia. So dad signed up under Assemblies of God in Australia. Mm -hmm. And when I was six months old, we moved back to South America. So as you can imagine, you know, I don't have a lot of memories of being six months old. (laughs) But we moved back to Bolivia and I was there for four or five years and um at that time, I began to have some health issues. Mm-hmm. I was going from five to six, and it was quite a comprehensive illness. I was throwing up every day. My eyesight was declining. It was like everything was a blur. I had no contrast. So as a child, at the age of five or six, it was quite difficult. Yeah. Not just for me, but for my parents. Um, so we returned to Australia, and at the time, we visited a specialist. And he looked at my optic nerve and what my vision was doing. And he said, look, there's nothing we can do for your son. Hmm. And so my dad at the time was getting ready to be a missionary in South America to go on the mission field. 
So we moved to the United States to continue studying for my dad. And whilst we were there, we visited a specialist, an ophthalmologist in the States. And he looked at my optic nerve and what the findings were from the specialist in Australia. And he said, um, but there's nothing we can do for your son. There's no surgery. We believe you should enroll him in Braille school. So that was quite traumatic and it was really hard for my parents. And mm. I guess for me at the time, you know, as a little kid, you know, you're like missing out on a lot of things in life, you know, yeah. when your brother are seeing squirrels running up trees, you know, and you can't quite make out the squirrels. You know? It's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember one time when at the end of school, I ran out of the school, the rest of the class, and I ran to the wrong mother because I couldn't quite make out who the right mother was. Mm. And so that was a bit hard. Oh, yeah, and that must have broke uh, Erica's heart at the time as well. No doubt, no doubt. Hmm. So after a year, my dad was, you know, praying, and he would be saying, you know, Lord, why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, and God, take away my eyesight, but not the eyesight of my son, you know? Mm-hmm. After a year, a man approached my dad and said, look, um, I feel God saying to me that if you anoint your son with oil and after seven days, he will be healed. And my dad is, you know, like, I have him praying for him. Fortunately, he was faithful and obedient. Mm-hmm. And... So I remember on that seventh day, dad prayed for me. And it wasn't like a bolt of lightning or an angel visited me. But I remember mom on the other side of the room, you know, holding up a cereal box. And I'd be reading what was on the cereal box to her. So obviously, wow. to, you know, by then, someone at that age, you know, that's really making an impression on him, you know. So that led to my salvation or my decision to give my life to Jesus, you know, to believe in him as parents. Wow. So you went from barely being able to make out objects. I mean, and going up to the wrong person who you thought was your mother, you went from that to all of a sudden having your eyesight back? Yes. So that is really going to make a big impression on you, and you know that it was right after your dad prayed for you. Yes, that's true. So all of this, for me, had a threefold effect. Mm -hmm. It led to my salvation and belief in Christ. Mm -hmm. It really strengthened the faith of my parents before they went on the mission field. Mm-hmm. And they were able to use this testimony when they were in Chile. Because, you know, when my dad was working in the mission field in Chile and he'd speak to pastors and preach and so on, a lot of Chileans would be like, who is this gringo, this, you know, foreigner? Huh. And they weren't that impressed with, you know, degrees and so on. They really wanted to know what is God doing in your life? Mm-hmm. So when my dad stood up and said, you know, my son was blind, but God healed him these walls of doubt just broke down and everyone was listening to him, you know? Mm. So the Lord used your healing to help your father relate to the people in Chile. Yes. And other parts of South America. Yes. And so that's very powerful and it was encouraging as well. Mm. So you go through your childhood years. You are now at this point a Christian and doing okay in school. So did life kind of go back to normal in a sense for you? Yeah. So, I mean, people ask me things like, oh, but you wore glasses. And so the issue that I wore glasses for while I was in school mm-hmm. was for short-sightedness or whatever. And it wasn't for the issue that was causing this blindness and so on. Mm-hmm. So I continued. I'd, I'd be playing soccer three times a day. Mm-hmm. I did quite well at school. And at the age of 15, you know, we returned to Australia. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting experience. Yeah. Tell us about that. A little bit of culture shock. Yeah. So we returned to Australia where, you know, no longer do they speak Spanish and the food is different. And so... I like to call them more reverse culture shock. It was huh. pretty pretty strong. What was the hardest thing for you going back to Australia after growing up in South America? I grew up all my life knowing how to play soccer, and I had no idea what this AFL thing was. <laughs> and it was just, I don't think I still understand what it is, to be honest. But <laughs> it was just, it didn't make sense to me. 
Yeah. I think I nearly cried when I went to this South American festival being held here in Melbourne where they shut down the street and they had all this Spanish music and all this South American food. And I just walked up and down the street all day hearing all these people talking Spanish and talking about empanadas. And Oh, so you were back home in a sense. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that explains why we met you at that missionary kid organization, because that helped you feel at home as well. Oh, very much. So hanging around with other MKs and third culture kids. Mm-hmm. MKs, missionary kids, and third culture kids are people who grew yeah, up yeah. in a different culture than the culture that their parents are from. So you're not really South American. You're not really Australian. You're a third culture. That's what third culture kid means. Yep. You sort of bring out the mixture of both, you know? Yeah. It took me a while to learn to just appreciate that being a third culture kid is awesome mm-hmm. and that we have a lot of value that we can bring to society and to ministries and to churches. Well, you certainly have a uh, broader perspective on things, having experienced two different cultures. And you learn to adapt and to be flexible to the environment that you're in, you know? Um, so after that, I completed my studies and mm-hmm. I then did a degree in IT in Melbourne. I studied at Swinburne University. And um, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience. So no problems in school, health-wise? At the end of year 12, I started to have a bit of vision problems. Mm-hmm. And that was unusual because we weren't sure what was causing that. And it wasn't a repeat of what was happening when I was a kid. It was just a double vision. The eyes weren't quite coordinated enough to being able to see everything as one. Mm-hmm. But I was beginning to see two of the same object, mm-hmm. which was interesting and unusual. But mm-hmm. I still completed my studies, and the school was very helpful in helping to complete those studies. Mm-hmm. And that sort of died down and went away. And that's when I went to study in IT. Mm-hmm. And I guess my nature is to enjoy fixing things, mm-hmm. and I enjoy helping people. So with IT, I enjoyed being able to help other people with their issues and so on. And that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I volunteered for a while at mission agencies, and so that was fun. I enjoyed that. And then I got a job at Monash University in their IT department. Mm-hmm. And that was a good experience. Whilst I was making a decision of my next step in my life, I started a little business called Saved by Grace. Saved by Grace. And we should remind listeners that your surname is Grace. So there's a little play on words there. It was a good play on words. I was quite <laughs> proud of it. Saved by Grace. Brought to you by Andrew Grace. <laughs> But it was a bit harder than I thought. So the business didn't quite take off as much as I thought. Mm-hmm. And I also felt a bit of a, a leaning towards going back to study, like a different direction in my studies and so on. Mm-hmm. So I started to explore Bible College. Mm-hmm. And I went and looked at a Melbourne School of Theology in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So it was just not too far from where I lived in Winterna. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and I thought, this, this sounds great. This, this sounds really good. So I thought, okay. I'll do one year of study. Lord, I'll just do one year of study. So two semesters. And then after that, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was great. Really interesting. Learning about church history and Old Testament and New Testament theology and everything. It was just very interesting. It was just scratching where I itched, you know. Um, Great. At the end of that first year, my church history lecturer was preaching on the fall of Jerusalem. And I'm like, well, what happens next? And he said to me, well, you have to come back next semester to find out. <laughs> so second year, I mean, I'm back. And I'm like, well, all right, Lord, I'm back. But in that second year, I began to notice um, I was just really hard hearing the lecture and hearing students talk to me. And it was like I kept having to everyone repeat themselves. And my hearing was really declining. Mm-hmm. So I went to visit an audiologist and he recommended some hearing aids. 
which was not what I'd envisioned, but okay. Mm-hmm. And then as my studies progressed into the third year, I found out just my vision was starting to get harder to see as well. I was mm-hmm. finding it hard to make out on the whiteboard and reading the fine text and commentaries. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I'll just get some air glasses, I'll be fine. You're listening to The Story, where today our guest is Andrew Grace, who's the son of past guests Chris and Erica Grace, who served for many years as missionaries in South America. Andrew's sharing his story and how he was hit with one health challenge after another while he was going to Bible school. We'll find out what happens next and how he's managed to keep a positive attitude through it all when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today our guest is Andrew Grace, who was going to Bible school when he was hit with one health problem after another. First, his hearing began to decline. Then, he began finding it difficult to see the board in class. Now we'll find out what happened next in his life as he continues his chat with Eric Scatterbone. So one by one you're having challenges, but you're able to overcome the challenges with the hearing aids and glasses at that point. Well, you just helped and the glasses... We're helping, but then a week later, I was like, oh, I'm still finding it hard to see. So I visit the optometrist again, and he's like, you have to adjust the power of the glasses. And then a third time, I'm still having trouble seeing, and he said, there's something going on here. And he sent me to an ophthalmologist or an eye specialist mm-hmm. in Melbourne. So it was, it was a weird day because on the day that I visited the ophthalmologist, it was my birthday. Mm. So I walk in to see the specialist, and she puts eye drops in my eyes. And then she um, has like this scan of the back of my eye and so they can see your optic nerve. Mm-hmm. And when I visited her afterwards, she goes, your optic nerve is damaged hmm. and your eyesight is declining rapidly. So for me at the time, it was like I was in a sandstorm in my eyesight. So I could make out objects and colors, but I had very little contrast. It was just difficult to make out faces and details. So I could hear people's voices and recognize them, mm-hmm. but I couldn't always make out their face and letters and numbers and things. So that was really a bit overwhelming and disconcerting, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not the news you want to hear on your birthday. How old were you turning at that time? I would have been around 38. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, you're thinking, what on earth is going on here? Yeah. So the ophthalmologist could sense that something wasn't right. So she sent me to get all these blood tests done. And once she got the results... She ordered me to go visit a renal specialist immediately. So a renal specialist being kidneys. Something, oh, here we go. What Now, why did she do that? How did she draw the connection between the two? Obviously, there was an indicator in the blood test that showed the kidneys were not working properly. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, um, when I went to see the renal specialist, he said, your kidneys are down to 22%, mm-hmm. which is very low. Yeah, And then... So you said, you need to monitor your kidneys. So this was around September 2018. By January 2019, my kidneys were down to, to 15%, and they were still on, they were just on free fall. Wow. So he looked at me, and he's like, you're going to need emergency dialysis. So normally, with dialysis, you have a, 
a fistula in the arm, which is like a an entry in the arm with two needle points. Mm-hmm. But that takes a while to grow and mature, which is a really weird way of describing it. So in the meantime, they put a catheter in my chest mm-hmm. where the dialysis needles could go through. Mm-hmm. So I have a catheter hanging up my chest whilst I have this fistula in my arm maturing. So that period of January 2019 was quite difficult because um, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Well, a lot going on health-wise. What's going on inside of you at that time? Well, there's a bit dark because, mm-hmm. you know, you're sitting there going, why is this happening to me? So another thing that happened to me is I fell on a flight of stairs because I couldn't make out the last step. So mm-hmm. I rolled my ankle. For me at that time, I was like, okay, I'm done. This is it. Because it was just too much. Yeah. So I reached a point where I was like, I can't go on anymore. And then um, I guess I really had to just make a choice with where I went from here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just had to make this choice. God, I'm just, you're going to have to be in control of all of this, you know, because I can't go on trying to figure this out. Through your own strength, because at this point, you didn't have any idea why this was happening. Correct. And we thought that the kidneys and the eyes and the ears and all that was related. Mm-hmm. So we had a big test on and the renal specialist confirmed, no, it's not this disease that we think it might be. And so I went to Monash Genetics, but these genetics tests take a long time to, to get results. So we just had to wait to get the results. Mm-hmm. So at that time, you know, I was with Vision Australia. This was at the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, they were very helpful. You know, it was good to have a support group. Mm-hmm. So they helped me a lot with the low vision and things like that. I learned a lot of coping mechanisms and I used a lot of magnifiers and lights in my house and a lot of contrast in my house helps me a lot. Mm-hmm. They're able to help me with things like a motion spotlight in my driveway and things like that that just help me, you know? So you live by yourself, but you use bright things to help you distinguish different objects? Yes, yeah, so I have a bright blue toilet seat in my bathroom. Huh, very practical. <laughs> yes, you know, just makes things easier, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm a bit of a techie, so, you know, I know all the little shortcuts on my laptop to make things bigger and mm-hmm. all those things make life helpful. But, you know, things like kidney failure... That's a bit beyond me, you know. I didn't know how to cope with that because yeah. I really didn't like the word failure, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just, it was a hard word to deal with because you're thinking, what did I do wrong? I don't smoke. I don't drink. You're going to Bible school? Yes. And that was helpful because I had to then study part-time. I couldn't handle a full-time load whilst all this was going on. So I went to study part-time. And sometimes I would just sit through lectures or classes with friends because it was just good to have that community around you. Mm-hmm. So friendship was very helpful. Yeah. And I have a good strong family that, you know, my parents were, as you've interviewed them before, they're very good people, strong parents and very supportive. I had good brothers and sisters that, you know, always around me. So that was good. So the good thing to know is that, you know, I wasn't like a second rate citizen where, you know, my life was over. It was more a matter of, okay, my life is going to change, but my life still continues. Mm-hmm. So this is where, you know, I decided to try ballroom dancing. Yeah. Now, you could have made a different choice and got really dark and gave up on everything, but instead you decided to continue your Bible studies, continue being strong in your faith, relying on the Lord, and you decided out of the blue, let's do ballroom dancing. How did that come about? So many years ago, before my studies at Bible College, I've been doing ballroom dancing on on stone, just for the fun, whatever, Mm -hmm. just for the fun of it. Yeah. But... When I fell down the stairs and I lost a lot of balance and coordination, I really was trying to you know, gain my strength back, gain my balance back. So I thought, 
I'll get back into this ballroom dancing, but I'll do it more for the sake of physiotherapy and social interaction. Yeah. I have this teacher. Her name is Natalie. Mm-hmm. She's lovely, lo- lovely. She's really good. So what she would do is when we dance, she would paint her, her thumbnail, this bright, bright color. And that would be like the guide to like when I would ballroom hold, I would just follow where her thumb was. Mm-hmm. And she would say things to give me like cues as to when to dance and so on. Mm-hmm. The dance theater would, would work around me a little bit. So they'd turn the music up a little bit louder. And they were patient with me as well. So when I was just like, I've had enough for the night, they just let me sit down and have a rest. But they were also able to like give me guidance and cues in the studio as to, you know, when to face certain directions. And that, you know, that is so beautiful. You know, yeah. she could have said, oh, this is too hard. This guy can't hear very well. He can't see. But she decided to meet you where you're at and paint her fingernails bright colors. I mean, that's just, that's, that's so cool. I'm very grateful for my dance teacher, Natalie. Yeah. She's, she sort of pulled me along, and now I'm, I completed my uh, silver medal in salsa. Oh, good on you. Well done. Thank you. And I should say, I looked at the video on Facebook. You posted it on Facebook. Well done. Yeah, you're really getting into the salsa. Well, I very much owe my appreciation to Natalie, so yes. Yeah, but it's all part of having a positive attitude. We can decide how we're going to respond to hard times. Hard times are going to come, whether we like it or not. Hard times are going to come in our lives in some way, shape, or form, but we can decide how we respond to them. Yes, and the thing is, is I remember one night I was feeling sorry for myself. You know, I think it's okay mm-hmm. feel sorry for yourself sometimes, but I didn't want to be in that place for too long. Yeah, and. I was just praying, Lord, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. And the challenge from God was, and let me ask you a question, maybe not quite that wording, but that's, that's how it was in my heart. Mm-hmm. It was, Andrew, if you lost all of your eyesight and were completely blind, would you still follow me? And I was like, oh boy. You know, I didn't want to just answer that glibly immediately, like, yes, Lord. I had to, it took a while to just reach that point where I said, you know, very humbly, you know, yes, Lord, I will. Because after that, I just reached a point where I was thankful for what I had, you know, thankful for the hearing I had as opposed to the hearing I lost and thankful for the vision I had as opposed to the vision that I lost. And so that's where I was at. Then with the kidney failure, you know, then started the next step, which was dialysis. So, you know, I was in a hospital three times a week Mm -hmm. and every session is five hours. So you're sitting in a chair with needles in your arm and you can't move because if you move, the needle shift in your arm mm. and then it's quite painful. That was crazy times. So I'm still on dialysis at the moment. I've almost reached two years of dialysis. So all the nurses there know me. They all greet me by name. They know how I like my coffee, you know. <laughs> and so we chat about, you know, they all said to me, Andrew, what were you studying before? And I said, oh, I studied theology. And then they said, what is theology? So I tell them about God and what I believe in my faith and so on. So some of the nurses don't believe in God at all. They don't care. Hmm. Some of the nurses are Christian, mm-hmm. but they haven't been to church in a while. So I you know, encourage them to go back to church. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have these great little conversation with my taxi drivers who drive me home. We start chatting about what I believe and what they believe. And I tell them about my faith in God. And So it sounds like the Lord is using you through all of this. But in ways that I wouldn't expect, because in my mind, I'm like, no, God, no, this is not how this should be happening. Hmm. I should be doing this. But instead, when I'm not really in the mood or not feeling the best is when all these opportunities open up. Hmm. And I'm, 
I laughed because I'm like, God, <laughs> all right, I get the hint. Huh. And so, you know, there are times that I'm talking to someone and I can see the opportunities open up to start talking to them about Jesus mm. and his goodness and his faithfulness. And I'm like, no, no, Lord, I don't, not, I don't feel like doing this now. You know, this person is still talking about wanting to know. And so I start sharing a story and that's how I go. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but can you share with us what you finally found out was the reason why you were having these health problems? So a few weeks ago, we actually got a call from Monash Genetics and they called mom and dad and myself in. Mm-hmm. And the specialist looks at me and he goes, well, I know what's going on with you. And, you know, I think my parents and myself were all sitting at the edge of our seats. We were wondering, what is it? Mm-hmm. And so they identified the actual gene that's causing this along with the genetic disorder. And it means that my body is not producing the right protein, which means that, you know, I get tired easily, I get fatigued easily. It affects my kidneys, which in that case also affects a lot of the chemicals that are needed for your body. Mm-hmm. So that affects the eyesight, the hearing. So at the moment, I'm still in the middle of all this. Mm-hmm. I'm now in line to go visit a metabolic specialist, and I'm just waiting to make an appointment with him. Mm-hmm. And... I think the reminder that I have to myself is I still have a testimony about God's goodness in the middle of everything that's going on. And so it's not like I'm completely healed and then I can share a testimony. It's in the middle of everything I can share my trust Mm -hmm. in God. Because many people are going through things as well. Yes. And, you know, it's one thing to praise God when everything's all resolved, but it's another thing to praise him in the valley. And sometimes we don't always see when that valley will end. It's just placing our trust and knowing that our hope is in God, and that's all, sometimes that's all we can say, mm-hmm. and that's that's okay. Well, Andrew Grace, we want to lift you up in prayer for all these concerns that you're going through. The journey is continuing, but we know you're not alone in the journey. The Lord is with you, and of course, we're with you praying for your health as well. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me. That was Andrew Grace chatting with Eric Scadabo about his life journey and the health struggles he's dealing with. As Andrew mentioned, a lot of times you only hear someone's story after everything has been resolved. But Andrew wants to share his testimony now and give glory to the Lord while he's right in the middle of his valley. He decided to trust in the Lord while in the midst of several health challenges as he waits for a kidney transplant. As Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Andrew continues to trust in the Lord and knows what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 23, where it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you, Lord, are with me. We just want to end today asking you to lift up Andrew and his health in prayer. It can't be easy going through everything he's going through, but his strong faith is certainly inspirational for all of us. Also, if you haven't had the chance to yet hear his parents' story, you can look up Erica and Chris Grace in our archives. And then you can find out about Andrew's grandfather, who served as one of Mussolini's bodyguards in World War II. You can find all of our past programs for the story at vision.org.au forward slash the story. Once again, that's vision.org.au forward slash the story. Well, thanks for joining us for Andrew's story today. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.